0: Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. Well, I'm excited about today. Wow, we are on the tail end of this series on the book of Hebrews. Today we're in part seven. Has this been a beneficial time? Yes. Have you grown in this process? You see, the goal of this series is not just to have something to say. The goal of this series is not just to have an entertaining moment. The goal of this series is to help us, the followers of Jesus, the church, to truly make a shift from just existing, to make a shift from just being by title only, into becoming who he's called us to be. We've called this series, Not What, But Who. It's not the name on the door, it's not the badge that we wear, but it's who we are on the inside of our lives. It's moving into that realm of becoming the church that God has called us to be when the author of Hebrews was writing this great book, he was writing it to a a group of Christians that quite honestly were really good at doing church. What do I mean by that? That they had learned how to have a service, a time together. They had learned how to meet the needs. They had learned how to feed the the hungry. They had learned how to help those that were poor and desolate. But the problem was they had lost their connection with God. Now we look at that on this side of the table, it's easy to point our finger and go, how can you do that? How can you be a Christian and find yourself just going through the motions? How can you find yourself just doing a job and losing the heart? Can I just tell you, that's easier to accomplish than one would hope. It's super easy just to get busy. It's super easy just to to get busy doing church and lose sight of the DNA, the hearts of God. So today I want you to do a, a quick examination of your life. I'm not asking you to examine the church. We do that as a leadership team, as the the staff, every single Monday, and as the board, once a month. We do a DNA check of our lives regularly, but I want to ask you, on your side, would you pause just for a moment and and do a, a check of your life? What is it that runs through the DNA of your life today. We're going to begin to look at chapter 10, and in chapter 10, the the author is sharing with us in the first 18 verses some pretty incredible promises of God. In fact, we're going to look at two of those promises today, and then we're going to move forward just a bit more, and we're going to discover what is our response supposed to be to those promises. Because how many of you know? It wouldn't do us much good if we listened to the promise, but we didn't respond to it. You could walk up and say, Pastor, man, I promise you, I'm going I'm to cook the best steak for you ever. I'm going to make it medium to medium rare. It's going to be a ribeye. It's going to be awesome. And you can make all these promises, but until you act upon it, until I respond to it, all it is is talk. Right? I don't know about you, but I want a ribeye right now. <laughs> Whoo, Glory. All right, anybody want to cook me a good? No, just kidding. So today we're going to look at a couple incredible promises that only Jesus can accomplish. And then I want to take some time and I want us to begin to look at what should our response be as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. Look at our text today. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, and it says this. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Don't throw away this trust, this confidence that we have in Jesus. Remember the reward that is in store for us. Remember it was Paul. He said, I fought the good fight. I, I finished the race. Now there awaits for me the, the prize, the reward. God has a reward for each and every one of us. But what is that promise he's making today? Well, two promises that I want to look at. Number one is this. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all now why is that a big deal well I want to dissect that just a little bit look at this scripture Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 and then into 18. it says by his Jesus's one sacrifice he has forever set free from sin the people he brings to God now let me pause there for a moment that's good news come on look at that what's it say? By his one sacrifice, once for all, Jesus has what? Forever set us free. Not temporarily, not for a moment, not for a period of time, but forever he has set you and I free. Jesus made a way where otherwise it would be impossible. Now, that should make some of you excited this morning, but hopefully, as we move on today, that excitement will begin to stir. Now, this was good news as the author was writing to these early Christians. He goes on to say this, when sins are forgiven, there is no more need to offer sacrifices. Now, that really is not one of those things that we pick up because we don't do sacrifices. Praise God. We don't have to do sacrifices. You don't have to bring me a a dove. You don't have to bring, you know, goats in here. You don't have to bring a bull. We don't have to sacrifice it and splash the blood on the altar. Praise God. Right? Thank you, Jesus. But for the early believers, that was still happening to those who had not come to the place of forgiveness in Christ. It was called the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement was a, an interesting day. It was a, a time when the priest would have to go through all of these rituals. They would have to cleanse themselves and put on a special garment the, the head priest would then go in and they would sacrifice a bull for themselves and their family for all of the sins they had committed. Then they would bring two goats in and one goat would be sacrificed for the sins of the nation of Israel. And again, that blood would be splashed on the altar and then the other goat, the head priest would go before it and put his hands on its head and he began to declare all the sins of the nation of Israel onto that goat. That goat was then released into the wilderness to become the scapegoats. Here's the problem with this ritual. It had to be done every year. Why? Because we mess up. Yeah? Yeah. Have any of you messed up within the last year? I'm not going to ask you within the last day. We'll just keep it at a year. Keep it at a year. Yeah, absolutely. We've all messed up. The Bible says we all sin. We all fall short of God's standard. So because of that, there had to be this ritual, this day of atonement once a year of, of putting all the sins on this scapegoat and sending it into the wilderness. It was an annual reminder of our failures. But... Jesus paid a price once for all. He sacrificed everything for you and for me. No longer is there an annual day of atonement in order to cover our sins. Jesus came, died on the cross, sacrificed himself once for all. It was a game changer. For our lives. Jesus' perfect sacrifice didn't just cover our sins. It didn't just cast it into the wilderness. Jesus makes us brand new. Yes. Come on, how do I know that? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us this. It says, this means that anyone, come on, look at your neighbor, say that includes you. Amen. Come on, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a... New person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. Anyone who comes to Christ, anyone who surrenders themselves, the price that Jesus played in their life, the price that he paid for them takes root and no longer are they the same, but they are changed in an instant, in a moment, no longer the same, but a new life has begun. Jesus truly gave everything by his perfect sacrifice. So that we could be made right Amen. in the sight of God. I share this scripture almost every week. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just yes. to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all the wrong we've ever done. Yes. Not because we've earned that rights, not because we're a good person, Oh, we may try, but we all falter. We discovered that a few moments ago. But because of the once-for-all price that Jesus paid on the cross. Not only did Jesus accomplish something that no one else could accomplish. Look at this. Our sin will be remembered no more. Now, now, why is that? Why is our sin not remembered anymore? Does God suddenly have spiritual amnesia? No, no look at this. In, in verse 10, it says this. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. The moment we are forgiven, the moment we lay it down before Jesus, because of the price that he paid, Jesus or God does not just erase it, because how do you know, when you just erase, there's still residue. Come on, if you're from my generation, that residue was on the eraser. That residue had dripped down into the chalk tray. That residue was on the teacher's fingers, right? Come on. If you're a little younger, it was on a marker board. You can still see what was written last week on the base of that marker board because it didn't quite wipe away. But here's what Jesus does. Because of the price that he paid, he rips down that old board. He gives us a brand new slate. We begin again because of the price that he paid. That's good news. That's a price that we couldn't do on our own. That's something that we couldn't accomplish by ourselves. But because of the love of Jesus Christ, he paid once for all. Now our sins are remembered no more. That's great news. But here's the problem. For some reason or another, we allow the lies the distractions of the enemy, to continuously ungrave the past that has been buried. For one reason or another, we allow the enemy to surface what God has forgotten. What we've got to do is come to the place of forgiving self. It's more difficult than we'd like to admit, but it is possible with Jesus. It's a daily surrender. We talked about it last week. It's it's daily taking up that cross, denying ourselves and following after Jesus. Why? Because He's removed those sins. Yes. Psalm 103 says it this way: He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the West. Wow. Did you know that there is no set distance east from west? No. It continues. On and on and on and on. Our sins are to be remembered no more. Romans 8 reminds us that because of the forgiveness that we have in God, we have no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those that believe. But here's the deal. Yes, God's grace is sufficient. Jesus' sacrifice is complete once for all. Yes, our sins are remembered no more. But that does not give us the right to keep on living like our old sinful self. I've heard people say, well, now that we live in grace, what I can do is I can ask Jesus to forgive me, and then I'll go about and just live my life because now i got grace. That, that's not how this works. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? I'm going to challenge you today as you receive and as you accept this mindset that Jesus died once for all, that our sins are remembered no more, I'm going to challenge you, step out of that sinful life. There's some of you that have found yourself continuously running back to that old sinful crutch. You know, you know that, that thing that nobody else knows about? That, that behavior that you you hide? I'm going to challenge you today. Surrender it all. I remember as a kid, we used to sing a song that says, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I'm going to challenge you today. You don't need that old crutch in your life anymore because what Jesus offers is full and complete. So what do we do with this mindset? How do we step out of the the religious game which is by the way so popular in today's culture? But that's another sermon for another time. How do we step out of that playing church mentality and into this realm of spiritual maturity and growth in God? I want to give you three responses to these two incredible promises that we see in the book of Hebrews. Number one is this. We must understand and apply the promises of Jesus. We've got to understand. Now, we don't have to necessarily comprehend it all because the Bible says don't lean on your own understanding. We, we have a, a limited ability. There are going to be things that happen in life that you just don't understand. You can't comprehend But in this moment, we've got to come to the moment of the realization of God loves me so much that he willfully sent his son, died on a cross for my life so that I could be made right. And then we begin to apply that principle and and what he has done into our lives. And here it says in verse 19, Therefore... Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Now, it's vital that we come to the place of not only having the head knowledge, come on, it's not enough just to have the head knowledge. Head knowledge is important. The Bible says hide God's word in your heart so you might not sin against him. It's important to have the knowledge. It's important to read the word of God or listen to the word of God. It's important to study the word of God. But if all we have is head knowledge, we're just smart. Right? But we got to begin to apply the Word of God. Head knowledge or application alone, neither one will work. The church, the Hebrews that the author is writing to, they were doing the work, but they were missing the connection. We'll find ourselves just going through the motions stuck in the what of Christianity if we don't apply Both, We must begin to digest the word of God and truly allow it to be applied in our lives. In other words, we must be more than just knowledgeable. We have to be more than just mere action. We must be Jesus with skin on. Come on, think about that. We've got to be Jesus with skin on to the world around us. So that what's on the inside of our lives, what that we have learned, what we have processed, now begins to be translated to the outside, to the world around us. Jesus said the greatest commandment, what we got called to do, is not only love God and love people, but now we put action to that and we tell everyone everywhere about this good news of Jesus. And now the author takes it a step further and he says that we must go into the presence of God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. We're not entering on our own merit. We're not entering on our own ability. But we're allowing the confidence that we have because of Jesus to give us the boldness that we need to move forward into His presence. I wonder today, where do you get your confidence? Where, where do you? Where do you? Well, it, it's easy right now in this room to say from God, but when the rubber meets the road, when when things get difficult on the outside, when we're going through our daily routine, where do you turn to initially? You see, anything besides God is going to let you down. If you lean upon self, if you lean upon others, if you lean upon ability, those things at some point in time are going to disappoint you. Have you ever had a person disappoint you? Right? Yeah. Have you ever disappointed a person? Yeah, the answer to the I would venture to say every one of us, the answer was yes on both of those. But I want you to know that God will never let you down. God will never turn his back on you. The Bible says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Truth be told, any confidence that we tap into that is not the confidence of God will pale in comparison every single time. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings to you. We must learn, we must begin to trust God for what he has done and continue to trust him for what he will do. Come on we got to begin to trust the Lord for what he has done and continue to trust him for what he will do. It's kind of like when your kids were little. You would go to the swimming pool and they would stand on the edge and and you perhaps would be in the pool and your child was standing there and they wanted to jump but they were scared. And and you just say, come on, just jump to me, I promise. I'm going to catch you. That's the trust we're talking about. I would venture to say majority of you would not have gone, come on, jump to me. Hope, just kidding. I would. I'm not putting it past some of y'all. Some of y'all are only about 80% saved. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, that, that same trust that a child has for us, as they get to the edge of that pool and they jump, They're trusting wholeheartedly that mom or that dad are going to catch them when they hit the water. That same trust is a trust that we can have with God. As we jump into difficult moments of life, as we jump into those decisions that we've got to make, each and every one of those times, as we lean into him and and rely upon him, he's right there saying, "Just, just come to me. In fact, the Bible says, come close to God and God will come close to you. You get to choose how close you are to God. Come on, look at that. You get to choose. Are you going to trust him today? The second response is this. We must take possession of our hope in God. We must take possession of our hope in God. Look what it says in verse 23. Let us hold tightly Without wavering. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, don't waver. waver. Without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us hold tightly without wavering. I was watching a video last night of One of those videos on Instagram, this person was strapped into a slingshot ball, and and they were being lowered down. The person on the left was confident. They're like, I'm not scared at all. This is awesome. Let's go, let's go, let's go. The person on the right was like, I'm about to die. The difference between confidence and no confidence. Actually, my thought at that moment was, man, when I was a young adult, I wanted to do that. And I was excited to do that. I didn't ever get to, but I wanted to do that. Today, I don't think I would want to do that. Why? Because my confidence in that machine has gone down. Right? But here he says, let's hold tightly without wavering. To the hope we affirm that God, for God, can be trusted to keep his promises. This phrase, hold tightly without wavering, literally means to take possession of. Let us take possession of this hope that we have. Let us hold tightly to this hope that we have. It refers to holding as if you were a drowning man, holding on to the rope, clinging for dear life. That's the urgency that we have. And it's not a hope as if I wish. It's not a hope as if I desire. But it's a hope that is set upon an expectation that is to come. As a Christian with the DNA of Jesus running through our lives, we, as the old song states, place our hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood Amen. and righteousness. Amen. I don't place my hope in people. I don't place my hope in situations. I don't place my hope in money. I don't place my hope in the government. I don't place my hope in anything but the blood of Jesus. That's the confidence that I have in him. I challenge you today, take possession of that promise. Take possession of what Jesus has for you. It's not a hope in self. It's not in the church. It's not in the leadership. It's not in society. It's placed upon God and God alone. Look what it says in verse 36. Patient endurance is what we need now. Come on, anybody in the house need patience? Yeah, buddy. Mm -hmm. Patient endurance is what we need now. So that you will come to God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Verse 38 And my righteous ones will live by faith. There are two qualities that we see that we must hold on to if we are going to be able to truly move forward from what to the who of Christianity in this Christian journey. Two things we see number one is patience. The other is faith. It starts by saying patient endurance is what we need. And it ends by saying the righteous ones will live by faith. So you have this bookend on both sides of patience and faith. These two qualities are the secret to a victorious life in Jesus. But here's the problem. Both of them are incredibly difficult. Difficult. First off, there are many of us in the room, there are many that are watching online today, that if we were completely honest with ourselves, we lack patience in our lives. I'll be honest, I do. I don't like to wait for people. If I say, hey, we're going to leave at noon, guess what? I'm pulling out at noon. See you soon. I just don't like to wait. I, I'm kind of an impatient person. My staff will give me a little amen there. I, I want things done. If we're going to go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Patience is something I have to work on. We as a society lack patience. We're an instant gratification-minded people. This idea of being patient is foreign to us. But here's the reality of our faith. We must learn to trust in the timing and the process of of God, yes. Let me say that again. Some of you didn't hear it. We must learn to trust in the timing and the process of Jesus. Amen. Did you know that God's timing is always perfect? Yes. Every single time. Yes. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. He has a plan, he has a purpose, and we must learn to settle in and trust him with all of our heart. And then we have this idea of faith, and for many of us, we have been let down or disappointed by so many things in life that having faith is difficult. Listen to what theologian Warren Wearsby had to say regarding faith. He says, we are not just saved from our sin by faith. We also must live by faith. Now, many of us in the room have already given our life to Christ. Many of you that are watching online right now, you've given your life to Christ. You took that step of faith, believing that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. Sure, we've read it in books. we read it in the Bible. we read it in history books. But grabbing a hold of that, that God could love a sinner, such as me, that took faith. But Warren Wearsby challenges us, and he said, could it be that, that faith is more than just a momentary decision? That, that faith should be a life that we live? It's a daily choice that we must step into. It's a decision that will either keep us on the path with God, or if we deny that decision, it will allow us to be derailed and struggle in life. The choice is ours. But again, our hope isn't based upon everything going just right. That's a fairy tale. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, our third response this morning is this we must engage in the encouragement of others. We must engage in the encouragement of others. Now, this is kind of a countercultural response. Culture would say, encourage yourself. Look out for yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. You're the most important. But the Bible takes a different approach. The Bible says if you encourage others, if we look out for others more than self, then in verse 36 it says you will receive the promise that has been given for you through the price that Jesus paid. Look what it says in verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways. In other words, take some time and, and be creative. Take some time and process, how can I be an encouragement to my coworkers? Oh, Pastor, you don't know my coworkers. Could it be that if you were an encouragement to them, you could change the atmosphere in the room? Could it be that if you began to share the love of Jesus with them, could it be that if you began to invest in them, that there'd be a shift in the atmosphere, in the environment? Could it be that you could change what's occurring at the workplace simply by being Jesus with skin on? I'd venture to say yes. I've watched it time and time again how you get one bad apple in the crowd. And it changes the entire environment. But if we work to, to adjust to that, if we work to, to make changes, it's not long till Jesus begins to step in. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. on, well, we oftentimes overlook that scripture. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You're here this morning. But he says, let's not neglect meeting together. As some people do. Two things we see in these verses. Number one, you've got to get encouraged. And number two, you've got to be encouraged. Where do I see this? Well, if you work backwards in order to truly be encouraged, we must get encouraged. This is accomplished by meeting together regularly, of making church attendance a priority. I'm told... 40 years ago that a person to attend regularly at a church would would be at church three to four Sundays a month. That was regular attendance. Today, regular attendance is considered once, maybe twice a month. And we look at that statistic and we wonder could that be a direct correlation to why society is potentially in the mess that it's in? I don't think that's all of society's issue, but I think it's a good portion. I'm going to challenge you look for moments. Allow your faith to be active, allow it to be progressive. Spiritual growth is not automatic. I shared with you early on, in fact, I think it was week two of this series, that we've got to want to grow. We gotta be intentional. We've got to decide to grow. We gotta to choose to look forward with God. We gotta make an effort. We gotta do the hard work. And we have to persist in growing. Don't make church a second priority. I actually heard it said one time. I saw a person, I think it was in Walmart, and I said, Hey, I'll see you Sunday. And they said, Yeah, unless something else comes up. Really? Unless something else comes, unless I get a better offer, right? That, that's that's kind of what they were saying. Unless the fair's in town, oh, let's move on. Look for moments of connecting with other Christians. In about a month, we're, we're launching our e-groups, our life groups again. I want to challenge you: get plugged in, be a part. The author says, think of ways to motivate one another. Mark this down. The degree to which a church is populated with encouragers is directly related to the degree to which they believe in the grace of God. Encouragement flows from a heart that is consumed with the DNA of Jesus. That allows the fruit of the Spirit to Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control allows all of the fruit of the Spirit to become alive and active in our hearts. I'm going to leave you with an action step today. Here's your action step. Choose today to allow your faith to be receptive and active in Jesus. Allow your faith to be receptive and active. Don't push it to the side. Don't play the game. But say, Lord, I'm all in. Would you pray with me today? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.